Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. We have so many good reasons, precious reasons to be thankful to you for all things and that you hold our entire lives in, and our future in the hollow of your hand and within the realm and sphere of your precious promises to us. Thank you that you've included us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are blessed together with him. Uh, having been saved eternally. So, Father, I thank you for faith and its gift and the great joys that we have as your children, joys that mingled often with sorrow and loss. And uh, as Paul uh, wrote so well, uh, we suffer loss and also abundance. And whichever it is, Father, uh, we rejoice in you, knowing that we're privileged to suffer together with the Lord Jesus as he, as head of the body, suffers together with us and we with him. So, Father, I thank you so much for each one who's been gathered here today and for the others who may want to be with us but cannot be for one reason or another. Father, I just pray that you would be with us all. Bless us together in this fellowship around your precious word and may we be instructed well in it so that we may rejoice even more at your good hand that rests upon us and has always rested upon your people so father we uh, just rejoice in that confidence that we have uh, through those precious promises and the completed work of our lord jesus christ on calvary's cross that he died for us he paid the penalty for all of our sins all of them past present future they've all been taken away we have a clear slate now with you heavenly father and uh, uh, have been invited to boldly come to the throne of grace and we do so now father and so often so, Father, thank you again uh, for all of these blessings. We know there are many in the world suffering greatly, but, but there are great thanksgivings also as well to be offered up. And uh, certainly uh, we've heard of some of them this morning here already, Father. Uh, Anne has mentioned uh, her great opportunity to be with her sister, Gail, and to spend good time together there with her and in the fellowship group. And we're certainly thankful for that, Heavenly Father, and for safe travel as well. Both directions there. Father, I heard many requests as we went through the list and uh, certainly at the top of our uh, minds and often coming to mind is the circumstance in the world today where the world is closer to destruction than we remember it to be for a very, very long time. As uh, one nation pits itself against another nation, another independent nation, and uh, the leadership of nations is uh, corrupt and compromised so often. So, Father, we just pray for the Ukrainian people, that they continue to be strong and that you'd give them the upper hand. We know unless you give them victory, they surely not have it. So, Father, we 
we do pray for them. We know there are believers there. We know there are missionaries there. Uh, we know that uh, the leadership is to some extent um, not knowing you or maybe largely not knowing you, Heavenly Father, being Jewish and we do not know of any salvation uh, testimonies there. But Father, we know that you're able to raise up those that are not by our standards righteous, but that you use them for your own purpose and will. So Father, I pray for the president of Ukraine and that you would continue to give him strength and fortitude and that he and his people might boldly stand up for that which is right and good there for many millions of, of, of people in that place who have experienced some liberties uh, down through the years. I pray that that would continue and that the enemy would be defeated and, and not only defeated, but humiliated, Father. Pray that the nations of the world that care for liberty would stand up also against this tyrannical uh, government there in Russia. Including our own Heavenly Father, may our own nation and our own leaders not only stand up, but have wisdom, great wisdom. These are difficult times indeed. So, Father, I pray that the lies would be banished. Those that, that know the truth in any domain, any realm, might speak it forth boldly, whatever the consequences may be and whatever the trials may be that come as a consequence. Pray that those who are uh, protesting against the government's considerable overreaches these last years, I pray that, that, that they would uh, be protected and uh, enabled to make a statement that's that's received by by many there in our nation's capital. And we pray for spiritual blessing all the way around, Father. Uh, we know that we are the lights in this dark world and pray that we would shine brightly. And all this, Father, with so much more unspoken, we ask in Christ's name, amen and amen. Praise God. Well, we have quite an opportunity today <clears throat> set before us because the scriptures are most wonderful. I've been uh, so much enjoying my time in the word this week, especially the last few days here looking into these chapters in Genesis. And our theme, of course, uh, lately has been the sovereignty of God displayed on every page and often every line of what's recorded there in Genesis. And we've looked at Abraham and his family. We've looked at Isaac, <clears throat> Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac being the son of promise, and now the promise being passed off soon to Another son, and we'll read of that today, his name Jacob. So I'm not going to give you any review of what we looked at last time. We have no time for reviews today. We must skip ahead. Oh, my. Yes, uh, Isaac was a digger of wells, and as we'll see today and next week and the following, Jacob is a builder of altars. 
a builder of altars. Abraham had been both. He dug wells and built altars and worshiped the Lord God who appeared to him directly and also spoke to him directly. And the same for Isaac, uh, though not so much. And then uh, today, Jacob. So our outline is simple enough how Jacob, who will be born in due time, as you know, of course, to fulfill the desires of uh, Isaac's and uh, Rebecca's heart, that there be an heir, according to the promise that had been given to Abraham, right? That his seed would be blessed. It has to be uh, multiple generations, many generations for this to be brought forth. And uh, so we'll see how Jacob, and most of our focus today will be on him, how he's transformed by the power of Almighty God, one small step at a time. <laughs> and it'll be many steps. <laughs> There are four parts. First of all, God provides Isaac a seed and Rebecca delivers twins. Secondly, the Lord God preserves Jacob from death <laughs> as he's delivered from Esau, his brother. Thirdly, the Lord God provides Jacob, Jacob a seed, so not only Isaac, but now Jacob a seed. And 12 sons are given to him in due time. And finally, the Lord God preserves Jacob through many trials. And he renames him Israel. Oh, most wonderful. Most wonderful. To read of all of this, uh, to see the sovereignty of God displayed on every page and nearly every line in Genesis. My. Okay, so first of all, the Lord God provides Isaac a seed and uh, Rebecca delivers twins. So Isaac was 40 years old, according to Genesis 25, 20 when he took Rebekah to wife. Okay, verse 21 of chapter 25, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. A common theme, right? The chosen women <laughs> married to the chosen men seem to have to wait some time before the Lord brings forth the promised offspring, right? And the sons to inherit the promises, right? Well, verse 22 of chapter 25, the children struggled within her, and she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, this is the Lord speaking to Rebekah, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated 
from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. So Isaac was 60 years old when his sons were born. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. Verse 28, and Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Potential conflict from the beginning because Isaac loves the eldest, after all, the eldest has the birthright, right? And the inheritance, that would be Esau, he was first. Jacob grabbed onto his heel as he was born and uh, thereby uh, <laughs> proved <laughs> the meaning of his name to be correct. Jacob means uh, the supplanter or the ultimate, really the thief, <laughs> he's going to steal from Esau. He'll use cunning, he'll use human devices, not only that he himself might invent, but also that his mother is a part of. And that's what the next verses re reveal to us there. Because the most amazing thing happens, these two become of age. And uh, it says, Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Jacob was an incredible cook. He could make a lentil soup that was so good that as we read here in these verses of uh, Genesis 25, so good that when Esau comes in from hunting and he's starving, he thinks, and must eat, and Jacob has made this incredible stew, or who made it? Was it maybe actually Rebecca, I don't know. She's certainly helping. But anyway, verse 32, verse 31 says, well, verse 30, we really have this right there. Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. The Edomites came from him. And Jacob said, oh, sell me this day thy birthright. You want my soup so much, sell me your birthright. And he must have known that Esau had no concern for the birthright and the promises of God thereby, right? None at all. Um, and so he says, sell me your birthright, I'll give you the soup. And Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me, right? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swear unto him 
and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. It's that simple. He sold his birthright for a pot of soup. It's amazing, isn't it? He had no concern for the promises that had been given to his grandfather and father, no concern at all, right? That he was really the heir of the promise. <laughs> he thought, because the elder is the heir, right? Normally speaking, unless God changes the rules, which he does at his will, right? So we see the sovereignty of God actually working behind the scenes here, even using a sinner like Jacob and his mother, okay? This won't be the only time that these kinds of things happen in their lives. And so now Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and uh, but due to the passions of the flesh, Esau sold his birthright, his inheritance, simply for a pot of lentil soup. Seems impossible to believe <laughs> that the story would go like this, but this is sacred history. This is how the story goes, right? And this sets the stage for everything that will follow in the next years in Jacob and Esau's life, right? Okay, so... Isaac uh, now is uh, going to, uh, in due time, also give out blessings. And we really need uh, to see how that develops. Um, And I wish we had time to really go into these details. But we don't. There's so much in store for us today beyond these details that I'll just skip over, okay? But what happens is that Isaac gives blessings, which are prophetic in nature. And uh, because of the... the uh, Deception managed by Rebecca, right? Whereby Isaac is presented, whereby Esau, rather, is presented uh, one way as he truly is, and, and uh, Jacob another way as he truly is not. Jacob is presented as Esau. His father has become blind and cannot see. He has the sense of smell and the sense of touch. And uh, Esau is out to find venison so he can prepare it for his father and receive the blessing, his final blessing. Right? But Jacob and Rebecca conspired together and deceived Isaac into thinking that Jacob is truly Esau. 
And Isaac gives the final blessing to Jacob, thinking it is Esau. And the blessing is an incredible one, as normally you would give to the eldest. <laughs> of course, the eldest is told his birthright. <laughs> but the blessing, at least, he had hoped for. And so it's given instead to Jacob. And it's prophetic, and Isaac knows it. When Esau then comes with the venison and finds that even his blessing has been stolen away by his brother, rightly named Jacob, meaning thief, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, he is uh, totally beyond himself. And so we read in Genesis 27 of that. Verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, namely that he has given the blessing <laughs> to Jacob instead of to him, he cried with a great and exceedingly bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord. And all his brethren have I given to him for servants. And with corn and wine I have sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? Verse 38, we'll continue the reading. And Tom, I'd like you to read these amazing verses. Chapter 27 of Genesis, verses 38 through 41. And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shalt thou live, and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have the dominion, that thou shalt break his yoke off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob, because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. Thank you, Tom. So the situation has gotten to the breaking point. Uh, Esau, in his heart, is committed to killing his brother. How could it have gone so far astray from the plan of God, you might think? Although... 
God is using even sinners to accomplish his purpose. And that becomes clearer and clearer as time passes. Okay. Well, the last verse there says, uh, and these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah. So Esau says this openly. Uh, Isaac apparently heard the words. If not, maybe Esau spoke them quietly, but they were overheard. And uh, the words were told, it says in verse 42, to Rebekah. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold, thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. And so she and Isaac send off Jacob to what was the fatherland, in a sense, to Haran, right? Remember, the family had come out from Chaldea, right? And had stopped in a place where Abraham's brother Haran died. Also, Abram's father died, but there were other others in the family who stayed behind there, and that sort of became the fatherland, as it were, right? Not inside the promised land, just outside. And so, Rebecca sends off Jacob to save his life because Esau's going to kill him, right? And uh, also, of course, she hopes to marry. Right, and that's uh, verse 46. Rebecca said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? So Esau has uh, married <laughs> and uh, his mother, Rebecca, is grieved in her heart and thinks the same thing might happen to Jacob. So in addition to saving his life by sending him immediately away out of Esau's hand, uh, she's hoping for the best. He will meet someone and marry and bring forth an heir who shall be the heir of the promise, right? Okay, so that's how that all goes. But though Jacob has the birthright and the blessings, they cannot be fulfilled. They're prophetic, you see. They cannot be fulfilled without offspring, without a son, right? So Jacob goes forth, I'm sure, thinking, I must find a wife here somewhere at the end of the line, and uh, God's sovereign will will be accomplished and so be it. But the question is for Jacob, as it is for all of us, you know, I mean, you cannot live on your father's uh, <laughs> uh, coat string, as it were. I mean, you cannot base your life on your father's faith or your grandfather's faith and their conviction of heart and mind and spirit, right? concerning the Lord. 
and and uh, Jacob's great trial will be exactly that. Will the God of Abraham and the God of his father Isaac be his God? That's the challenge Jacob faces. And so far, he is not his God. That's made very clear in the scriptures that we'll continue to look at. So, we're now down to where the Lord God provides Jacob a seed, and not a single son will be given unto him, but 12. <laughs> Let's see how this goes. Uh, Linda, would you please read for us uh, from Genesis 28, verses 1 through 5. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and charged him, and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethel, thy mother's father, and take thee away wife from hence the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and keep thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou shalt may, mayest be a multitude of people. And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went on to Padamaran, on to Laban, son of Bethel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Thank you, Linda. Very good. Very, very good. So, interestingly, just, just as Abraham had sent back to Haran for a wife for Isaac, Isaac now sends Jacob back as well, right? But he has no idea what event will initiate his journey and change his life forever. Jacob is about to be caught in the crosshairs of the intersection of the Lord God with his life. And there will be no escape from that, <clears throat> as we shall see. Okay, so chapter 28, verse 10, Jacob went out from Beersheba. You see, they live where the well is, right? The well of the O's, right? Beersheba, right? Spent much time considering that last uh, study. And he went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took up the stones of that place and he put them for his pillows and he lay down in that place to sleep. Verse 12, and he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. What a dream this is, huh? a revelation from Almighty God. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac. It's kind of remote. He didn't say the God of Jacob. Hmm. The land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and to thy seed. So there's a promise, Jacob, regarding you, but there's going to be considerable challenge spiritually, physically, and in every possible way, you'll see, right? 
So he says, the land wherein thou liest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, thy seed doesn't have any seed, right? <laughs> seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob waked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob is in fear. He is in fear. He has seen God in the dream, right? He's still alive. <laughs> oh, my. And this event will change his life forever. So what does he do? We'll find out, and I'll have Gail read for us to see what what Jacob's response is to this amazing event. Uh, Gail, uh, chapter 28, verses 18 through 22. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillow and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was called Lutz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Thank you, Gail. Well, this is astounding. Okay, so here's Jacob's response. He's had a dream in which he sees the Lord God, right? There are angels in the dream, right? It's all focused right there on Jacob and on this place, right? On this particular place. So Jacob names the place Bethel, which means in the Hebrew, the house of God. <laughs> okay. And he builds an altar. Okay. And it's really an amazing, amazing uh, verse 20. I mean, you read that again. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me. How can there be any question as to who God is with? But what has just occurred? But yet, Jacob says, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way and give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then, if all of that, then the Lord be shall be my God. You hear that? You see the questioning in Jacob's heart? coming out, right? Oh, my, if, 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 then. Uh, most amazing. 
So what's most significant here in my mind is not the building of the altar. Yes, uh, Jacob now begins to build altars, and he will continue to do just that. But it is that he has a tentative relationship to the Lord God still. Notice how it's worded again in verse 21. Then shall the Lord be my God. And one of the most significant things, maybe the very most significant thing that Jacob ever says, is what will fulfill this scripture. It will happen much later in his life. We'll get to that in due time, right? Until then, it's a tentative relationship. One small step at a time will Jacob take walking in the direction whereby the God of his grandfather and the God of his father will be in his heart and mind truly his God. He keeps holding back. He keeps relying on the flesh. And we'll see how often that occurs. Okay, so Jacob goes on his journey. Uh, that's how chapter 29 goes. And uh, we'll just read a couple of uh, verses really from that. Rex, would you uh, please read how how it is uh, for Jacob when he finally gets to the land of his fathers, uh, Genesis 29, verses 9 through 11. And while he had traveled for them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, and for she kept them. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban his mother's brother, and Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. We nearly weep ourselves when we read this, don't we? And Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Verse 16, but Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. And Jacob loved Rachel and said to her father, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Skipping many verses, verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Now what happens? Laban deceives Jacob. And instead of giving Rachel to him as his wife, he gives her elder sister, Leah. He's already served seven years for Rachel. He's deceived. And now he has Leah 
as his wife. He served seven years for her. And the bearing of children is slow coming, but it does occur. And uh, God opens the womb there. Verse 31 says, but Rachel was barren. Oh, my. And would you please read chapter 30, verses 1 and 2. We'll see how the the, uh, table starts to turn as the Lord sovereignly works. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in God's stead? Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? Thank you, Anne. Okay, so again, the flesh rules. Human means overcome <laughs> what might seem to have been the obvious will of God, right? We'll find out the will of God was hidden and different than what anyone ever could have expected, right? And so there are now going to be 11 sons born through Rachel, through Leah, through Rachel's handmaid, and through Leah's handmaid, a total of 11 sons so far. And there'll be one more in due time, right? And so... There are verses there that make that so clear. Chapter 30 is the uh, place to see that. And uh, Patty, I'd like you to read. Uh, this is the most uh, most wonderful here. Uh, this is uh, the story of uh, son number 11. Uh, Genesis 30, verses 22 through 24. And God remembered Rachel. And God hearkened to her and opened her womb, and she conceived and bare a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Okay, well, Jacob is going to prosper <laughs> in the uh, realm of Laban and uh, prosper in ways. And with the miracles and sovereign blessing of God in so many countless ways, one, one cannot even imagine all that uh, is going to occur there. Eventually, time comes, and we read of that in chapter uh, uh, 31 and uh, 32, to see that Laban now must give up. Jacob and his great family, and uh, they must separate, and Jacob will go off uh, to the promised land. And uh, so 20 years he's been there with Laban. Laban doesn't want to let him go, but he finally does, and he takes flocks and herds and his daughters and grandchildren, and off they go. However, Jacob's trials are not over by any means. That brings us to the final point today. 
where we'll see that the Lord God preserves Jacob through trial and renames him Israel. So Jacob turns again now to human means. Now he's already turned to human means by taking these other handmaidens from his two wives and brought forth children by them, right? Uh, that's certainly a human way to try to fulfill the plan of God. I mean, how can Jacob do this? I do not know. He's listening to his wives a little too much, I'd say, right? But what we read now is that uh, Jacob's fear of Esau continues. It's real. He's sure that when he comes into the promised land, he'll have to travel down and um, through Esau's realm, right? And by now, after all these years, Esau has a family, he has sons, he has warriors, he has great military power probably, and Jacob is afraid for his life and for the life of his family. And even though God had intersected with his life so often, he still is in great doubt if this will continue. Perhaps the Lord God will give him over and his dear ones over to Esau and they'll be killed, right? He should have had more confidence in the Lord God of his grandfather and his father, but he did not. However, he had already learned while he was at, with Laban some lessons. In Genesis 31, 5, it says, He said unto them, I see your father's countenance that it is not towards me as before. This is Laban had changed his view of uh, Jacob. He was no longer very friendly. But Jacob says, I see your father's countenance that it is not toward me as before. But the God of my father hath been with me. So he knew that he'd been blessed by Almighty God, but he still calls God the God of his father, not his God. That's Genesis 31.5. In Genesis 31.42, he says this, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely thou had sent me away now empty. God hath seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked the yesternight. So Jacob knew that God had been with him all the way while he was in Laban's domain. But now the greatest trial of his life had drawn near, and that was, would the Lord God spare Jacob at Esau's hand? And that brings us to chapter 32. And these wonderful verses, well, wonderful in the sense of awesome, cannot uh, call them wonderful in the positive sense. Uh, exactly, although Jacob does make a testimony here that is absolutely blessed indeed, just before great doubt and fear overwhelms his soul again. So, uh, Tom, please read these great verses for us. Genesis 32, 9 through 12. 
Genesis 32, 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saith unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, least, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the child, children. And thou sayest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tom. So just after that wonderful, wonderful testimony concerning the God of his grandfather and the God of his father, right, who'd made a promise, he still is in great fear for his life. Ah, lots of applications. <laughs> How many times have we had fear, right? Even though the, the Lord had uh, blessed us so greatly. But that's uh, Jacob's uh, situation now. It will be the trial of his life because, uh, as Genesis 32 says, and I'll read this quickly for you 3222. Please uh, shut off your uh, mic there. Sorry. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Who is Jacob wrestling with, we ask? I believe it was a manifestation of the pre-incarnate son of the living God. Jacob is wrestling all night with him, but most amazingly, Jacob was prevailing. That would not be allowed to continue. Verse 25, when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, this is the pre-incarnate Son of God, let me go, for the day breaketh. And he, meaning Jacob, said, I will not let you go except thou bless me. This is a direct intersection with Jacob by the Lord God, right? And his son, Jesus Christ, who would soon come 
in due time as Israel's Messiah, but here the pre-incarnate Son of God. Verse 27, and he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. That's like saying thief. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he's even trying to steal something now from the Lord God, right? And he says, I demand a blessing. Think about that. Arrogance on Jacob's part, right? Um, and he said, okay, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. This is to the point. Stand in awe of all of this. It's, you find not many occasions like this where there's such a direct encounter between man and the living God, right? And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob came the name, called the name of the place Peniel, for meaning, I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Was it the pre-incarnate Son of God? Absolutely, right. And he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. So from there on, the mark was upon Jacob, now renamed Israel, meaning prince of God, right? Um, and he walks with his staff because he can't walk otherwise. His thigh is out of joint. Okay, from now on, Jacob bears the mark of the Lord God. Boy, we could uh, apply this to ourselves. I ask each of us, do we have the mark of the Lord God upon us? I pray and hope that we do, that we know that we do. Amen. Paul did. He wrote in Galatians chapter 6. Verse 17, from henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'd like Patty to read the final verses because <laughs> Jacob has this transformation that has just occurred, but the issue with Esau still needs to be resolved, does it not? And how will the Lord God sovereignly resolve it? Patty, please read Genesis 33, verses 1 through 4. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel, and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he passed over before them, and bowed himself to the ground seven times, until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him, and embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. Oh, their wait was long and many years and many fears, 
paved the way for this event, but the Lord God sovereignly intersected with Esau and changed his heart towards Jacob. Amen. What a wonderful thing. The story ends with Jacob building an altar. I'll read these verses for you. Chapter 33, verses 16 through 20. So Esau returned that day on his way unto Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built him a house and made booths for his cattle. Therefore, the name of this place is called Succoth. And Jacob came to Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Paddan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city, and he bought a parcel of field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. Verse 20, our final verse for today. And he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, which means the God, the God of Israel. Who is Israel? It is Jacob. Is the Lord God of Abraham and Isaac now the Lord God of Jacob also? Of Israel, indeed he is. Jacob has now taken the God of his fathers as his own. Finally, well, we begin here next time, Lord willing. Uh, Jacob has become a builder of altars, as his father was a digger of wells, and his grandfather combined all of these things, a digger of wells and a builder of altars, to the living God. Next time, we consider more of Jacob, but the scene will change to his son, Joseph. The rest of the story will be about him. Praise God. Is God sovereignly revealed on every page? Amen. That's a great theme, is it not, in the book of Genesis? Amen. Well, Lord bless you all. Any comments or questions before we close today? Many applications, of course, to ourselves, are there not? Has God intersected with your life? Have you wrestled like Jacob did? Many have, many still do wrestle, but his grace is sufficient. God takes sinners and uses them for his honor and glory. What a precious thing to be the called of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, I take this uh, story very personally because Jacob is the Hebrew word, the Greek word James. Uh, it's, it's my namesake. Amen. Would anyone like to share anything? Any comments? Patty? I find these accounts of how God works 
in the work. Um, very settling um, as we live in a world that is right now in very precarious circumstances. And um, these people lived in precarious circumstances as well, both within their family and, and from without as well. And um, on, on Friday, I was very overwhelmed with what's going on in, in Ukraine. And then I listened to Handel's Messiah, which is really the whole redemptive plan of God set out in beautiful music. And just like with reading this word of God here, God is indeed sovereign. And he rules over the affairs of men. And uh, his ways are not our ways, but we are his and we can trust in him. So um, I think this is very, very important to anchor us in troubled times. Amen. Amen. God is still at work. He has never ceased working out his great plan of redemption. And he does it in nations that are in every way contrary to him, as well as in nations that are, we would say, governed by the rule of the law and providing liberty and justice, such as our own, for so many years, right? Mm. But so be it. Are we listening for the shout? Listening for the voice and the call, I pray that we are, and love is appearing. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us. And yes, indeed, we do live in troubled times, but your children have always lived in troubled times, we confess, Heavenly Father. So uh, nevertheless, however dark the days may be or may come to be, we are the lights. I pray that we wouldn't forget that, that... Uh, our knowledge of you would only increase. Or really the challenge of our lives is the same as it was for for Jacob and all of those who are called uh, to know you and to know you better and to know your great work and to wait on you to see how you will do it. So Jacob learned so much one little step at a time. Sometimes the steps, however, were much larger when you intersected directly and visibly in his life. Thank you for intersecting in ours, Heavenly Father, and drawing us to yourself. And I thank you, Father, in Christ's name, and amen. <laughs>